Hello. Welcome back to what? The 16th episode of the Bird of... 17th? Yeah. Episode of the Bird of podcast. And today we have our first guest, Dr. Ed Stoner. Hi, guys. Glad to be the first guest. Yes. Cool. Since my so, car's already been a regular on the show. Yes, it's, it's, one, of the, it's one of the most popular parts of our, our YouTube channel. It is the most popular. So uh, I think today is going to be it's going to be different than normal because today's going to be the first ever podcast that's actually structured. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually so true. Um, but we could freeform uh, if you want. Well, no, but we have we have topics that we want to talk about okay. today, so it'll be structured in that sense. Um, do you want to first start by introducing yourself, Doctor Stoner? Hi, I'm Ed Stoner, the Assistant Dean for the College of Education at Temple University and previously an Athletic Director, Executive Director, Senior Associate Athletic Director, a number of different titles in uh, a variety of places around the country. Uh, and your, your main background is within college athletics, correct? That was where I spent uh, 20 plus years, yes. Yes. So today in our podcast, we're actually going to be talking a little bit about college athletics. Um, so for those of you who don't know, there's a, a bunch going on in college athletics right now from everything, from the whole coronavirus, some schools canceling sports, some schools only playing in conference, uh, to the broader of the name image likeness where, as some of you may have heard, college players and some people are arguing that college football players or just college athletes in general should be paid for their name, image, and likeness to be used by the school and some don't and so we also want to want to get his views on some of those and a couple other topics like the difference between division one two and three and the whole farm league system within professional sports cool what do you want to know start start with the questions drew all right tyler so i'm interested first what you think about this whole this whole name image likeness college athletes getting paid well i mean i see like like especially with like college basketball there's a lot of like one and dones and like they they're like preparing i guess for like when they hit the nba like say for zion like everyone knew he was gonna be a big hit in the nba and so like i see like why like like um like companies like nike would wanna um like hire him like like before he hit the nba but at the same time yeah i see like it's like not everyone is gonna no one like there's so many college players and a lot of them don't get like that recognition so uh, yeah I, I agree like not everyone should should be getting that so do you do you agree with the whole like colleges should have to play to to pay players to use their name on like a jersey if they sell that jersey at a like a sporting event um i don't think they should because i mean is it, are they, I mean, are they selling, I don't know, if they're selling themselves or just like, it's because their team, I don't know. Interesting. So, uh, Dr. Stoner, obviously having a background within college athletics, and you've spent all of your time in the college athletic world previous to when college athletes would be paid for their name, image, and likeness. What's your stance on this whole name, image, and likeness? What do you think about it? And how do you think it will affect bigger schools versus smaller schools? Well, I'm, I'm a little bit of a purist from that standpoint and think part of the reason that you go to college is to get an education, not to profit and uh, 
take your name, image, and likeness to some place to benefit versus the desire to get an education in a place that is a good fit for you where you can also have exposure for that potential to get your living down the road. Uh, from a standpoint of with coaches making millions of dollars, however, it does make it difficult to argue to the student athletes that you shouldn't get anything other than your college education and the support that comes with it. But even that is a pretty sizable investment. And if you look at that and say, now you start taking advantage of the ability to utilize your name, image, and likeness, you're going to start getting taxed on those. And then should you be taxed on the benefits that you're getting at the university, which now all of a sudden becomes hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially because they're taking you on travel, they're giving you all this scholarship and support, the additional expense now many are paying for the full cost of attendance. All of those would then become taxable items and you're gonna have to pay for that. And do you have a cash flow yet? Not really, so now you're gonna have to put out of pocket funds for something that you haven't really drawn in. So only the ones that are able to make really big name recognition and draw from that name, image, and likeness really are then going to benefit. The others would potentially be hurt. And that's really where the bigger argument comes in is saying football, basketball, and to some extent maybe baseball or one or two other sports, depending upon your location, are big enough and the names are big enough that they might draw or some certain company is desired to be around uh, an athlete, whether that, you know, like Warrior as an example in lacrosse, maybe they'll pick out a handful of student athletes to support and you know, Baden and their ball, volleyball and some other support, you know, but very limited in, in the world beyond those two primary sports. And then those athletes now, those student athletes are going to be sitting there saying, I can't either get the support that I need and or I'm going to have to pay the tax for a very small benefit that I'm getting because someone else is now taking advantage of that. Uh, also would look and say a concern and question of how it's applied is now the recruiting of student athletes. I think those bigger schools, you talked already about it a little bit saying what's the difference between them. The ability of Ohio State or Clemson or you know other Big 12, Pac-12, etc. Uh, being able to have more recruiting ability and or companies supporting them and their student athletes versus the smaller schools, which will just make more of a have and have not because the ability to monitor, the ability to actually provide support within those becomes more costly for the schools. So again, we're already seeing with uh, the advancement of COVID, but not necessarily because of COVID, the reduction in sports. And I think this would only accelerate that process in terms of minimizing the number of sports that schools put out because they're gonna have to then support in some fashion the monitoring or other utilization of that NLI side of things. So do you think that um, for a smaller Division One school, for instance, we can use Portland State, um, the, the name image likeness will draw, like it will draw away athleticism and bigger players from their school because they can, like they would feel they could go to a different school and make more than they would at Portland State? Well, the potential exists to do that. I do think if you look at those types of schools, the mid-majors or the small Division One, depending on how people term them, uh, those institutions are already limited on the number of student athletes they're getting that are that top caliber 
because of the TV exposure, because of the markets in which they're located and things of that nature. This will only, again, exacerbate that issue in the fact that now I won't be able to get as much exposure to maximize what potential I do have for my name, image, and likeness right now. That being said, Portland State, as an example, is probably in a better situation than many of the Big Sky Brethren, simply because they're a bigger market than many of the others. So they might actually have the ability now to recruit a few of the kids that might have gone to you know, Montana or other schools, Eastern Washington, within that conference that aren't as necessarily large a market and the ability for them to draw because there may or may not be a school or a business uh, entity there that can support that name, image, and likeness utilization. But do I think they're going to draw ahead of someone from Oregon? Probably not. And is Oregon still going to draw the student athlete they were getting that Portland State wasn't getting before? I, I think that's not going to change in terms of the model. Okay. So do you feel that with part of this whole NIL, it will make these bigger schools, uh, will it make them their sports less profitable? You know, I'm not 100% sure. In, in terms, again, if, if the needing to monitor it so that you don't have certain activities that then make a student athlete ineligible coming from that, then yes, because they're going to have to put resources towards monitoring the NIL uh, versus put into some other sport or some other form of support for the student athletes. Um, but from a standpoint of if it's simply free market and everybody just goes out and gets whatever they can and it's okay to do that, I'm not sure they're going to have to put a whole lot more into support it. Okay. Ty, do you have any questions? Um, no, not at the moment. Okay. So I think that, that that pretty well covers the whole NIL. And I know it's a, it's a big dispute between a lot of people because there's – from a college athlete's perspective, as a college student, you're not making that much money to begin with. It's just hard to make money and go to school and be an athlete all at once. Is it possible? Yes, but it's hard. They would argue, well, if the school's you know, putting my name on a jersey that they're selling, I should get some of the credit and profit from it to help pay these other bills. Uh, the, the schools and are going to then argue well, we're already giving you money, just not in the form of a check that will go right into your bank account. Because as you said, to fly private to the, all these games or to even charter a flight to go to these games is not cheap. And to then say, well, we'll pay you now, but you have to pay for all of these. A lot of students are going to have to, are going to be forced to not play these sports because they're financially not going to be able to do it. So I think you brought up some very interesting points. Thank you. Sure. And I, and I do think from that standpoint of you talk about the school using their name on the back of a jersey, I do think that's, a, again, a questionable way in which of saying, OK, you're a student athlete for us. That's always been a trade off because you got your college education, you had your tutors, you had coaching support, all of these sports medicine, weight training, blah, blah, blah. Uh, from a standpoint versus the student athlete now saying, well, I'm going to use my jersey from Ohio State or Duke or wherever else with my name on it, and I'm going to get credit for it. Well, now you're doing the exact opposite, which is how much of the sale is Ohio State or Duke versus your own name. So sell a jersey that's just number one in 
some random color with Williams on the back of it. And, and now is, is Zion going to sell as many as it does with Duke on it? And, and that's, again, where the rubber meets the road of how you're going to divvy up what's in there. You could say, okay, well, you can put the Duke on the front, but you still have to pay the 7 8 9% college royalty on it. So the university is going to make their money that way. And whatever additional royalty is built on, now the pricing point, is that going to price people out of buying the material anyway? Who knows? Like, again, remain to be seen, but that is part of the free market side of things that they're looking at. Awesome. Thank you. So this will kind of help us transition into the next topic. But speaking of jersey sales, um, Devontae Friga, who just graduated from playing a senior year at Mount Union, which is a Division three college, uh, is selling his Mount Union jersey with his name and number on it, paying the college royalty. And so some people are saying, well, if this school was selling it before, should you have been able to like to keep the money or should the school have been able to keep it because you were still a student there? So which which side would you agree with more? So again, is his name on the back of the jersey or is it just the number that he wore when he played it's, it? It's the number and the name. Yeah, where and again, that's why I'm saying I think that would be one where you would split those royalties or there'd be an additional royalty fee on it so that they could each have them because there is some value in his name being on it. Obviously, people are going to say, oh, I remember the days when he was on that team versus most people are going to associate with whatever number he wore. But let's face it, in a lot of places, there'll be another person wearing that same number five years from now that's probably still a decent player or that others are going to go, oh, that's the one I remember. And so they're buying it for that concept and memory, not his name. So the Mount Union jersey and a number is then Mount Union's. But if they're putting the name on the back of it, then certainly there's some claim to having the proceeds or at least a portion or an additional royalty on it. Interesting. So I think this is a good transition into the next topic, um, talking about the difference between Division One, Division Two, and Division Three within the NCAA. I know Tyler, throughout, like from our peers, um, whenever you hear people talking about Division Two or Division Three, it's always kind of looked down upon mm-hmm. because it's not Division One, and it's like, oh well, he wasn't good enough for Division One, or like, oh, he must just not be good, so he was like forced to go into play in Division or division three from working with the athletic side and seeing the talent what do you think the differences are between division one two and three and do you really think that division two and division three are where the quote-unquote d1 rejects go where the kids who aren't that good go well i don't think any student athlete who's playing whether it's one two or three in terms of their division is a reject i mean they're definitively all pretty talented to, to be at that level Part of the Division Three is people are choosing to go where it's a better fit for them and the type of education they want to get. And it has nothing to do with their ability. They're just looking and saying that fine line. It, the old saying, and I don't know if the numbers are still accurate, but it was 2% of high school student athletes, 1%, depending upon how some people talk about it, make it to college athletics, period. And 1% or 2% of college athletes make it to the pros. So your, your numbers are just so astronomically limited in, in terms of the chances. Some of those student athletes are looking saying, I really do want a degree from, let's say, Amherst College. And how many pro athletes have come out of Amherst? I don't know. Probably not that many, but 
I'm sure there's one or two somewhere along the way that did, but most of them have said, I'm going to go there and get a great education or the type of education that fits me best rather than large state U or football powerhouse, basketball powerhouse X. And so are they any less talented than somebody else? Probably not. Are there a lot of those student athletes in Division Two or Three that are equally capable of uh, high-level Division One? That's probably also a limited audience. But the difference in Division One, if you looked at a lot of those cases between, say, an ACC school and a CAA school, which is you know your football championship subdivision versus football bowl subdivision. The first strings are all fairly close. They're not, there's still a little more talent or a little higher level typically in that bowl subdivision than the championship subdivision. But when they play first quarter, let's say in that game, they're pretty evenly matched. The problem then comes in the second string and the third string. It's those D1 bigger schools have a deeper bench and therefore there are a lot of them that are all at the same level. Whereas at division two, division three, that one athlete or that first string, then there's a drop-off. But even the drop-off, there's still a really good program or a really good level of athletics within that. And then funding is part of what creates that disparity and desire to be at a different level. Because if you have all the money for the strength and conditioning, you have all the money for the recruiting, you have all the money for providing nutrition, programming, et cetera, all of those support and then enhance the individuals who are already there for that purpose involved in that versus we have some support and it's there for you, but it's really on your own or your own extra effort to create some of those. And you have to choose to go there versus being heavily wooed from an athletic standpoint. Interesting. So I was going to bring up a question, but you kind of answered it within the fact that Talking about how Division Two or Division Three might have a shallower bench or a bench with quote unquote less talent than a D one school, and I was going to say, do you think that that's partially responsible because of funding? Uh, given these bigger schools, we can use, for instance, like the University of Oregon, which is a they they used to be super good, now they're pretty good at football. Versus you go to a school like Mountain Union is one of the best Division Three football colleges in the country, but their their resources are nowhere close. And do you think that the Division Three versus Division One gap is responsible because of funding? So let's use the University of Dayton as a, an example for that. And in an era bygone now, they were Division Three football, but they were Division One and everything else. And they had the resources to support more services and support for football than most of the division three programs and they were traditionally a powerhouse won national championships in division three football that was probably part of what made their success and now that you're not allowed to have that style anymore they're the football championship subdivision but non-scholarship and there's only a handful of schools in that level and the reality is now when they face anybody that's at that same level they're okay and they're all fairly similar within that small grouping but if they go outside that in division one they're outmatched pretty consistently and in a heavy way not even just a a light way okay interesting 
Tyler, do you want to talk a little bit about the farm league thing? Um, I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't really follow baseball a lot, but um, it is interesting how like, I mean, like there, are, how many players are on like an MLB team? I don't even know the roster size these days. But like, I mean, you assume it'd be like, I mean, around or maybe even less than a football team. So if if it's about like, like having like depth in in like a roster, like it makes sense that football would do that too, because uh, they have the players to to be able to put them in the farm leagues and still have enough players to play. And so it's interesting why only baseball does that and football doesn't. So in theory, football has a taxi squad. They have the players that are sort of waiting in the wings should someone get hurt. And that is one of the interesting pieces. Like college, you're not able to just say, okay, I'll fill in. If in fact you have basketball, there's you know, 13, 15 scholarships, depending upon men or women in that setting. And two or three people get hurt, especially critical ones, that can dramatically change your outcome. Where in the pros, it's like those two or three go to the injured reserve and two or three from the taxi squad come up and they're all sort of similar level and you just keep playing. Uh, so that is one of the big differences. Baseball just does it in a more formalized setting in terms of AAA, AA, single A settings and having a lot of individuals within that farm system uh, versus a small number of still on the taxi squad. But do you think that it could make football more interesting? Because I know, for instance, with some of the really small baseball, like the farm league teams, like the single A and the single A short season, they're in like these really small cities that most people have never heard of, and it's able to bring the sport to areas where it's normally only able to see on TV. Do you think that there could be an aspect of that that the NFL could possibly do in the future? Not saying it's going to be a four different league deep, but like if they do like a G League or something like that where they put it in smaller cities. So if you are a person who lives in a random small town in Nebraska, you would have easier access to go seeing a semi-pro level game versus just having to go and watch a high school game or an NFL game on the TV? It hasn't proven that way. And I think part of it is because you don't have the frequency of interaction where with minor league baseball and to some extent D-League, G-League for basketball, there's more contests and there's more interaction, more opportunity versus once a week. And even then it's once every other week, roughly, because then you're on the road. And so there's a a very limited exposure. And part of what's successful about those minor league programs is almost the connection people have because they kind of get associated with those individuals or have the ability to rub elbows with a potential future pro player. So do you think that, you know, when we're talking about the Division Three players, a lot of like really good Division Three players in Division Two, get scouted to go either overseas or go into G League, short season. Do you think that if the NFL had something like the G League or a farm league system, that it could give the NFL a chance to gain some talent that they wouldn't have originally had by taking these players who are in Division Two and Division Three and giving them a little bit more training and practice in a semi-pro environment before putting them in the NFL? Do I think they could do it? Yes. Do I think it's likely to work? No. And and all you have to do is look, 
the USFL, the XFL, the Canadian Football League, all of these have either been and folded or been and limited in terms of their ability to feed into. And I'm not sure why that is the case, but that has been the case. Do you think it'd be more successful if it was linked with the NFL instead of saying that it was a just smaller program in its own division? Potentially, but again, if the NFL isn't going to put its own muscle behind it and really drive it, then probably not. And it may be the the owners in and of that within that group limiting it because they don't want any of the other teams to then get a foothold or then start to draw into a different market, which might take away from theirs or want to look at expansion. And that's a, a whole nother issue that comes into play. Okay. And with the whole um, football being one of the professional football being kind of a less accessible sport because it's really only the NFL teams are only in big cities. Do you think that it would be more inclusive, I guess, if they had these smaller teams where, you know, Joe from a small town could go watch the guy that's going to go be a pro football player in a year versus just having him be like, oh, well, those pro football players, they're only in the really big cities and, you know, the, the country talent won't get any, like, view time because they're so focused on the big city suburban all-stars. I think one of the things you have to look at is the longevity of those athletes. And the length of a career in baseball is much longer than uh, the average length of a career in football. So to some extent, it's hard to get to the NFL to begin with. And the length of your time there is shorter. So saying you're going to have to play a physically demanding game in a minor league setting to work your way to the NFL could be that other aspect of limiting it where baseball gives you the ability to have two or three years really connect with people in the minors and then get your chance in the big leagues to move on and still have a decent length career in that setting so so i'm not sure if the size of the market really is going to matter versus the the physical drain and the timing needed with regards to getting to that level and staying at that level okay so we have a few minutes left and i kind of want to wrap it up with one last question. When you're talking about longevity within the NFL and saying it's shorter, uh, in the recent news, Patrick Mahomes uh, signed a $503 million 10-year contract. But when we're talking about longevity in the NFL, do you think that he's actually going to play all 10 years with the Kansas City Chiefs? Well, if he's going to play, he's going to play him with the Kansas City Chiefs at this point unless they really want to get rid of him and somebody else thinks they're willing to pay that much money. Uh, But from a standpoint of, do I think physically he will last all 10 years? Uh, Guesswork. But given the fact he's, what, three years in and he's already had one injury uh, where a number of other quarterbacks who have made longer careers usually took a little longer before they had their first injury, the hedging of that bet would be probably not. But it's still entirely possible and he's young enough that he could have bounced back from the first one. It's just a fluke and then make sure that you're healthy to go from there. But in that case, it's almost no different than we've talked about this before. Bobby Bonilla still getting paid by the Mets to play. I mean, this is years after he's been on that team. And and so to some extent that you're looking at trying to capitalize on an opportunity you have as a quote unquote smaller market team to have a, a longer run by locking in one of your superstars. 
for an extended period of time. Interesting. Tyler, what do you think about this Patrick Mahomes deal? Um, I mean, yeah, 10 years is a, is a very long time, especially for an NFL athlete. Um, yeah, I'm also with Mr. Stoner on, like, I don't think he's going to last as long. I mean, if he if he's still in, this, in the NFL by that 10-year, he's probably not going to be um, one of, like, the well-known quarterbacks in that, like, when 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 he's playing, but yeah, he, he I definitely think he'll get injured, like again, and just yeah, I don't think he's gonna make the best of it. That being said, the ten years at that point in time, he'll still be what seven years younger than Tom Brady currently. Yeah, that is true. So, <clears throat> but at the same mean, time, like sorry, go ahead. Uh, at the same time, Mahomes is more of like a, a mobile quarterback. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of why he get more injured. It's it's what's made him more successful is yeah. that flexibility, but that's also what puts him at risk. And yeah. that style of play becomes less effective as you get older versus pure drop back. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting when we say that about Tom Brady, just because I think that, you know, obviously he just signed with Tampa Bay. I don't think he has much longer left. I think he's the... The one shooting star, the one rarity within the NFL that can go that long is what, 42 at this point? Um, I mean, as we were saying, football is a physically abusive it's sport. It's it's hard to not get injured. It's a very physical sport. And so I think it's really amazing that he's lasted that long. But at the same time, I don't think he has that much left. We shall see. Tyler, do you have any other questions for Dr. Stoner while he's still with us? I don't. Awesome. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up the Brotocarbon podcast. This is episode 17. We're talking about college sports and professional sports. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please make sure to like, subscribe, share with your friends, uh, and comment if you have any other topics that you want us to talk about with Dr. Stoner, if there's someone else that you want us to have on the podcast. Hey, by so, the way, what was that, uh, what was that uh, song you were playing last night? Oh, oh. Um, we'll get copyrighted for it, but it was the little Einstein's Trap remix. <laughs> okay. What? Uh, I just randomly started playing the little Einstein's Trap remix last oh, night. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. Um, I mean, we talked about tax evasion and some other things. It was kind of entertaining. Tyler. Oh, oh, that song. I thought you were talking about the little Einstein's Trap remix. <laughs> no. I uh, I gave him a little preview of uh, the song Weekdays, which will maybe be dropping in a major music streaming store near you soon. Just keep an eye out for that. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. Now, now you're talking marketing. Start uh, <laughs> teasing people on what's coming. <clears throat> Guys, also, speaking of marketing, Tyler and I announced recently that we're going to be dropping a new EP soon. So stay on the lookout for that. There will be singles happening soon. Make sure to like, subscribe. Stay tuned with the videos that are coming up. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you guys in the next one. Thanks for having Peace. me, guys. Peace. Thanks.